This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. What's the latest scientific research on reducing the risk of breast cancer? There are simple lifestyle changes that can make a big difference. Those chemicals damage your breast. They increase the risk of breast cancer, and you've got to take steps to reduce them. Then, hidden addictions in others can be like a time bomb waiting to explode. We'll talk with an expert about how you can spot the danger signs of hidden alcoholism or other addictions. It's such a classic myth. You know, we think of the alcoholic as a stumbling drunk inebriated on the street. Oh, no, 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 no. Think of Henri Paul, Princess Diana's driver. He didn't look drunk in the hotel video prior to the tragedy. Those two stories and much more are all ahead on this week's InfoTrack. Stay tuned. The program begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Scientific research has revealed some simple yet powerful lifestyle changes that can greatly reduce the risk of breast cancer. InfoTrack's Taryn McCall has the story. Taryn? Thanks, Chris. Breast cancer is one of the most feared diseases of women, and there is so much conflicting information about causes and prevention. Is genetics the main predictor? Is it environment or diet or some combination? What can we do to defend ourselves against breast cancer? Our guest today on InfoTrack is Dr. Edward Conley, Assistant Clinical Professor of Medicine at Michigan State University and author of Safe Estrogen, Reduce Your Breast Cancer Risk by 90%. Welcome to InfoTrack, Dr. Conley. Great to be with you, Taryn. Much of your book focuses on nutrition as a key to breast cancer prevention, and you write about foods that may play a role in causing and preventing breast cancer. First, which types of foods are harmful? Chemicals like pesticides, wood preservatives. They are in hamburgers, pizza, fried chicken, nearly all of our foods, and those chemicals damage your breast. They increase the risk of breast cancer. And you've got to take steps like eating organic foods or avoiding pesticides and sprays to reduce them. I also talk about supplements that can protect your breath from the damage that those chemicals do. What about those beneficial foods? The beneficial foods, every woman has to understand that this is not small. Three nutrients called lutein, which is in spinach, lycopene, which is in tomatoes, and carotene. Women highest in those had half the risk of breast cancer as women lowest. So what I try and talk about in Safe Estrogen is easy way to build those nutrients into your diet. Most women don't understand that they can reduce their risk of breast cancer significantly by making some very easy diet changes like pumpkin pie and watermelon and tomato sauce or salsa. Great ways to get antioxidants. And this is even if a woman might be a little more disposed to breast cancer genetically. Well, the interesting thing about these studies, Taryn, is for many women, even if they are at higher risk, they actually receive more benefit. They have more to gain by making these changes. Now, these changes will help every woman because only two out of ten women who get breast cancer have an inherited genetic problem. That means 8 out of 10 women listening who are going to get breast cancer have no inherited genetic problem. 
Can you talk a little bit about the role that plant estrogens play in conferring any benefit? I've been reading articles lately about soy products and using those instead of hormone replacement therapy. First of all, there's no estrogen in soy. It's a substance that tricks the body into thinking you have more estrogen and helps to control hot flashes, night sweats, mood changes, some of those symptoms of menopause. Plus, women who eat soy and other phytoestrogens like flaxseed, especially those studies from Japan and other places where soy in the diet is very high, have a significant reduction in their risk of breast cancer. So you can get a great quality protein. You may help reduce your risk of breast cancer significantly. And if you're perimenopausal or menopausal, it can help control some of those symptoms. And in terms of estrogen replacement therapy, I know you write pretty extensively about that as well. There are certain forms that are not as dangerous as others. Is that that is a very important point for every woman who's considering estrogen or who's on estrogen to understand. You know the amount of controversy that's circling around estrogen right now. There have been some recent studies saying it's not conferring the benefit we thought, especially in protecting women against heart disease. Right, and then the previous studies talking about that the synthetic estrogens or the strong estrogens increase your breast cancer risk. It is important, but yet I see thousands of women who have totally gone off of estrogen and they're miserable. They can't think. Their sexual function's terrible. They can't sleep. You don't have to take the strong synthetic estrogens that increase risk. You don't have to sit around and be miserable if you need estrogen. There's a safer estrogen called estriol, which is a very weak estrogen that a woman makes normally, but in perimenopause or menopause you take by prescription that actually controls symptoms. They've used it for about 50 years in Europe, and it is not associated with anywhere near the increased risk of breast cancer. Matter of fact, the studies that I found showed that it was not associated with any increased risk of breast cancer. So it controls symptoms nicely, but yet does not overstimulate the body where it may increase the risk of breast cancer like the strong synthetic estrogens we've used here in the U.S. You also write of a reliable predictor test for breast cancer, but claim most doctors don't know about it. Can you explain about that? Yeah, this is the one test that every woman listening should have. It's called the EMI, Estrogen Metabolite Index. It's a simple urine test, and it just tells us how you're breaking down your estrogen. And you can break down your estrogen into two different metabolites. One of those will increase your risk of breast cancer. The other decreases it. So long and short of it is if you're below two on this EMI, you are at significantly increased risk of breast cancer, and you can do something about it. But unfortunately, most doctors don't know about this test, and you have to understand that most doctors are not trained to keep you from getting breast cancer. They're trained to fight a war on breast cancer once you have it. And I think the test that most people commonly think of is the genetic test to see if you are predisposed to that. Exactly, but that is only meant for a very small percentage of women because there's only a very small percentage of women, about 1%, that actually have some of those identifiable genetic deficiencies like the BRCA1 and the BRCA2. So this is a urine test, relatively inexpensive, that every woman can have that can start to let her know, hey, am I in danger here? 
of increasing my risk of breast cancer? And if so, there are steps to take with foods and supplements to reduce it. Dr. Edward Conley, Assistant Clinical Professor of Medicine at Michigan State University and author of Safe Estrogen, Reduce Your Breast Cancer Risk by 90%. Thank you so much for being with us today on InfoTrack, Dr. Conley. Thank you. I'm Taryn McCall for InfoTrack. Next, is it possible to spot hidden alcoholics or those with other addictions? We'll talk with an expert who says yes. Stick around. There's more InfoTrack straight ahead. I'm going to learn a new language someday. I'm going to learn Spanish someday. French someday. Someday I'm going to learn Chinese. When it comes to learning a new language, what if you could turn someday into today? Because Rosetta Stone is now giving away a powerful free gift that lets you do just that. A free demo that lets you try the fastest way to learn a language. Today, we're giving away demos of our language immersion technology absolutely free. Call 1-800-923-4353. With the Rosetta Stone solution, nothing will stand in your way. No books, no rote memorization or translation, no boring drills. It's the breakthrough in language learning that over 20,000 schools, Fortune 500 companies, and U.S. diplomats rely on because it's the fastest, easiest way to learn a new language guaranteed. Claim your free gift from Rosetta Stone to turn someday into today. Call for your free Rosetta Stone demo today and see how easy and effective it really is. Call 1-800-923-4353. That's 1-800-923-4353. May I have your attention, please? If you're trying to lose weight, we need your help. We're Final Trim, and we have too much product and too few participants in our nationwide risk-free trial. If you need to lose 30 pounds or more and would like to participate, call now, 1-800-905-1021. Final Trim is an amazing proven breakthrough in weight loss, a once-daily capsule that can help you lose weight in days. It's also one of the healthiest ways to lose weight. Because each capsule contains natural ingredients, so you'll be able to lose the max amount of weight, allowing you to shed pounds in days with just one capsule a day. Be among the first to call for your risk-free trial. Again, we have too many risk-free trials and too few participants. If you would like to lose 30 pounds or more by taking just one all-natural capsule a day, call now to participate in this nationwide risk-free trial. 1-800-905-1021. 1-800-905-1021. That number again is 1-800-905-1021. Now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Addiction can be a tragic situation for many, many people, yet the early warning signs of addiction are often hard to spot. Joining us on InfoTrack is Doug Thorburn. He is the president and founder of a nonprofit Prevent Tragedy Foundation, which is dedicated to educating folks on early addiction detection. Doug, welcome to InfoTrack. Thank you, Chris. Now, you've written a book called How to Spot Hidden Alcoholics. Very interesting uh, topic and title. What led you to write a book about this? Well, long story short, I was romantically involved with an addict. I survived the ordeal. I vowed never again. I decided maybe I better learn a little something about addiction to protect myself. I stumbled upon AA meetings and decided this was a pretty good place to start. There I heard wonderful people telling horrifying stories of atrocious behaviors in which they engaged while they were practicing alcoholics. I began asking a couple simple questions. One, 
what caused what? Did poor behaviors cause alcoholism? Or maybe did alcoholism cause misbehaviors? I realized it was a latter. I followed it up with a crucial question. If alcoholism causes bad behaviors, I asked, gee, if I observe such behaviors, will I usually find alcoholism? I was single again dating, and in the course of a year and a half out of dozens of women, I, I dated five in whom I suspected likely alcohol or other drug addiction. I confirmed it through mutual friends and acquaintances in four out of the five. Not a bad ratio. More but, important in my tax practice, I'm an enrolled agent, tax professional, and certified financial planner. I would say to the occasional client when I felt it safe to do so, you know, I think your partner or ex-spouse or parent or child, whomever, might be an addict based on the financial misbehaviors you were bearing the brunt of. And what I had done, Chris, was I somehow linked the idea that addiction causes the person to act destructively towards others, inflicting emotional, psychological abuse always, sometimes physical abuse, and sometimes financial abuse. The response was invariably, oh no, he's my best friend. I've known him for 20 years. He's too smart to be an alcoholic. And I'd say, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with intelligence. Take another look. I'd hear back from that same client a day a week, six months later, invariably, saying, you were right. How the heck did you know? So, Doug, you said you were dating people, you were doing business with people, and yet you could not spot overt signs that they were alcoholics. No, I observed their behavior. Behaviors. Their behavior, but no signs that they uh, you weren't smelling alcohol or anything. No. Oh, no, 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 which, no. The which alcoholic is, knows to hide the smell. So I think most people listening might think, well, I can spot an alcoholic because they're going to be stumbling or you know slurring their speech or they're going to smell like alcohol. But you're saying, no, often the signs are, are much harder to spot. It's such a classic myth. You know, we think of the alcoholic, the stumbling, drunk, inebriated on the street. Oh, no, 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 no. Think of Henri Paul, Princess Diana's driver. He didn't look drunk in the hotel video prior to the tragedy. Okay? Mm -hmm. Three days after the tragedy, his blood alcohol level was reported at 0.18. So these are people who have the physical ability to intake a lot of alcohol or other substances and yet go through the motions of appearing to be okay, and yet their behaviors can be very harmful to themselves and to others. They not only don't look drunk, they may be even highly functional. There have been extraordinary screen stars, extraordinary professional athletes, highly successful businessmen, extremely successful politicians who have been alcohol and other drug addicts the whole time. Ty Cobb, arguably greatest baseball player who ever lived, lifetime batting average over 400, full-blown alcoholic the entire time. Hmm. So your book, which is How to Spot Hidden Alcoholics, you have specific techniques that people can use to spot these folks? Yes. And in order to understand the overall view of the technique, we have to understand that addiction causes in the addict a need to inflate his ego, which makes him have a need to wield power over others. So the key signs in the early to middle stages are that wielding of power, the attempt to wield power, especially capriciously over others. They do so through lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, which you hear at every AA meeting. What did we do when we drank? We lied, cheated, stole, and manipulated. You see it by reckless behaviors. Henri Paul acting extraordinarily recklessly, not driving 45 in a 30 zone, but 90 in a 30 zone supposedly to escape the paparazzi. You see it sometimes in overachievement. It's a great way to wield power over fans, constituents, customers, employees, co-workers. Now, if I'm a uh, boss of a company, or if I'm uh, perhaps, as you were, trying to find a partner for a relationship, 
do you have any idea how, uh, what the percentages are out there of people who might be having these problems? It's about 10% in the United States. So you uh, have a 1 in 10 chance of hitting one of these folks, typically. Yeah, except they have an impact way out of proportion to their numbers, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. Every addict is adversely affecting three, four, five people at any one point in time, and two years later it's a different three or four or five people. Now this, I assume, doesn't just apply to alcohol, but other addictions other as well. Drugs. When I use the term alcoholism, I mean any psychotropic drug, any drug capable of causing distortions of perception and memory in susceptible individuals. Now you say that a number of alcoholics, many alcoholics, will progress to a drug stage of addiction. About 80% of female alcoholics are polydrug addicts that pop pills, according to the Betty Ford Clinic. Mm-hmm. Many, many use the illegal drugs, but by no means the majority. And yet some alcoholics go through their entire lives drinking only the drug alcohol, wreaking havoc the entire time, 30, 40 years of havoc in their lives, ruining relationships, destroying other people's lives. Well, obviously, spotting these folks is very important. Is there any research that you're aware of or information that might help us to prevent this from happening in the first place that might be able to figure out who is vulnerable to these addictions? There is a difference in the biological processing of the drug, and therefore we'll eventually find out that there's a gene or genes responsible for alcoholism. However, the alcoholic doesn't want to stop, and this is crucial to understand. No addict goes into sobriety without kicking and screaming the whole way. I don't believe that prevention is possible, not in a day and age where alcohol is not only legal, readily available, the other drugs are readily available even though they're not legal. What we need to do is instead identify addiction, remove the stigma that prevents the identification of alcoholism, accept the idea that this is a differential biochemical processing of the drug. It has nothing to do with loss of control over use. That's a latter state symptom. Instead, it's a genetic disorder that causes the afflicted to biochemically process the drug alcohol as well as other other psychotropic drugs in a way that causes the person to act destructively or act badly some of the time. It's not every time. So what we need to do instead, Chris, is to proactively intervene early. What are we waiting for? Tragedy will inevitably occur. And I maintain that for every tragedy that occurs in the life of an addict, dozens if not hundreds of incidents occurred for which close persons and or the law could have intervened but didn't. We're talking with Doug Thorburn, who is an expert on spotting hidden alcoholics, and he's president and founder of the nonprofit Prevent Tragedy Foundation. Doug, do these rules or examples of alcoholics, does this apply to someone who goes out drinking on a Friday or a Saturday night, or these people who really are using alcohol on a daily basis? It could be daily, it could be weekly, it could be once every year. It doesn't matter. It's a question of the behaviors that result from that drinking episode. So if someone goes out on one drinking binge on New Year's Eve and wrecks their car and kills someone, that's an example of what you're talking about. Absolutely, especially if it happens a second time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously that kind of tragedy just doesn't occur for in, in the life of a normal drinker. A normal social drinker, first off, typically can't even get past a blood alcohol level of 0.12 without feeling like crumb. So these are people who have developed a tolerance or just maybe have a genetic ability to handle a lot of alcohol and still appear functional. Right at the get-go. And how do we know this? We know this from listening to the recovering alcoholics say they triggered their alcoholism during their first drinking episode. Average age, 12, 13, 14 years old. Is that right? Wow. How about education in the schools? Is that being done at all to make kids aware that this could be a trap for them? Well, they've tried, but there has failed. Longitudinal long-term studies have proven this. 
unfortunately, they're concentrating on the drug. It's not the drug any more than it's the gun. It's the person on the drug. So different people react differently to the drug. So 90% of us can take heroin. How do we know this? We take morphine in the hospital, none the worse for it. Walk out of the hospital, not craving morphine, Oxycontin, Vicodin, heroin, or any other drug. 10% will walk out craving these drugs and do anything to get them. Fascinating stuff, and I guess the key to it is knowledge, information, and education, and for all of the rest of us to just be very aware and understand the situation. And remove the stigma that prevents us from identifying addiction. and Start looking for these signs of a God complex, the signs of a sense of invincibility. I can get away with anything. The rules don't apply to me attitude. Verbal abuse, habitually blaming others, intense mood swings, things of this nature that are in indicators behavioral indicators of alcohol or other drug addiction. Doug, your book is How to Spot Hidden Alcoholics, and where can people get a hold of the copy of it? Well, my website, preventtragedy.com, one T, one word, has a lot of information about alcoholism, including an interactive substance addiction recognition indicator. Very good. Doug Thorburn, president and non-founder of the nonprofit Prevent Tragedy Foundation. Doug, thanks for joining us today on InfoTrack. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago. To learn more about our guests or listen to past shows, visit InfoTrack online at TalkZone.com.